0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. As we look to the days ahead, I am glad that we can look forward with hope. Uh, We've got a lot of things taking place over these next days. You've seen them in the announcements. You've heard about them. We've got our, our Sunday school shuffle that's taking place. Some of our classes are growing and need more room. And so we're having to shift some classes around. We've got our uh, I love my family conference coming up, excited about that. Uh, we've got um, Sundays Plus, uh, we've got our Kid Life, Drama and Music, and most of these you can go onto to the church app and you can sign up and register for those. And a lot of things taking place, but we're not about just being busy. We want to be doing the Lord's work and be doing what God has called us to do. And we believe that now is not the time to fall back. Now is not the time to retreat Now is the time to move forward. Uh, There are those who are looking at the world and they are seeing the world, they're seeing the church. It seems about like every other week you hear some scoffer or some cynic that's got a reason why the church isn't going to make it. And I'm glad that the hope of the church is not rooted in, uh, in apathy or COVID or political expediency or in cultural relevancy. Our hope is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we move forward. That's why we have confidence. That's why uh, we have hope. You know, uh, pessimism um, is rampant in our day. And uh, there's a reason for that. Pessimism sells. People don't, that sounds crazy, but um, I'm not crazy. Well, not most of the time anyway, but uh, some of y'all snickered when I said that, so I know what you're thinking. But pessimism, pessimism gets attention. Pessimism gets, garners support. Pessimism raises funds. About every other day or so, I get an email in my box from Christian organizations that tell me that if I don't send them hundreds of dollars, our country's probably going to go under in the next week or so. Some of y'all get them too. Problem is, if I keep sending all my money to those organizations, I'm going to go under. And that's the problem. And that's the, that's the idea. Is that if we can tell people how bad things are, then we'll get attention. But I'm glad that the message of the church, the message of the gospel, is not one of extreme pessimism, nor is it one of extreme optimism. The the gospel recognizes what's wrong with this world. But the message of the gospel is a message of hope. I love what an old missionary said one time. Somebody asked him, they said, are you a pessimist or an optimist? He said, neither. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I believe in hope. That's the message of the church. That's why we have hope. Isaac Watts tapped into that when he wrote that great song, and he said, oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. The same God that has seen us up to this point and has carried us up to this point has been our help. He is the one who is our hope for years to come. I don't know what 22 holds. Most of us two years ago at the beginning of 2020 had no idea what was about to come. And looking back, we're still not sure what happened. But we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what 22 holds. But we do know the God who saw the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And he's the one that is the source of our hope. I'm I'm worried that Christians are settling in. Christians are supposed to be dealers in hope. And we have become dealers in hopelessness. I want you to be encouraged this morning. Some of you are going through personal challenges and you need to be reminded that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look at the work of the church and we see what God has called us to do, the ministry that God has called us to do and the work that God has called us to do and we see the challenges. We see a world that is increasingly anti-truth and anti-God and anti-Christianity and they are turning against it and The number of people who are identifying as no longer a believer are increasing. And Satan would try to tell us that that takes away any hope. What are we going to do about the future? Where Where is the direction of our nation? What is the direction of our homes? What is the direction of our church? And I want you to know that what God has before us is great and mighty things which we know not. We are about to pass, as Joshua 3 says, in a way that we have never been before. And God is going to do those great and mighty things. How can we have hope? Well it's certainly not in all the celebrity conferences, the, the church conferences that you go to that'll tell you how to do it. They've got all the, all the celebrities there, the pastors that have grown their churches beyond belief 20, 30, 40,000 people. Uh, I feel like Junior Hill, um, I heard him say one time, he said I want to go to a church conference where a pastor gets up from you know Little Hope Baptist Church in the back of nowhere and says you know what We've lost fewer members this year than we've ever lost before. Sometimes we get tired of all the ones that know all the experts. It's not going to be the experts, and it's not going to be the success of Christian organizations, wonderful as they are. The message that we have is the hope of Jesus Christ through the work of his church, through the work that he established. And That's what he talks about in Matthew chapter 16. Our hope is in Christ alone. In our text, Jesus first declares the foundation of the church, and then he declares the triumph of the church. I want you to see this. You know these verses 16, chapter 16 and verse 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist." Some Elias and others Jeremias are one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This understanding, this truth comes from God. It is not physically or mentally understood, though it enters our minds and it affects our physical beings, but it comes from a spiritual speaking of God to Simon Peter. My father has revealed it, and I say unto thee, verse 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. How can we have hope? Jesus tells us three things in this this passage that give us hope, both as individuals, as Christians, as the church, as families, as believers in Christ Jesus. The first is, is that our foe is defeated. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now this reminds us, first of all, of who our adversary is. Our adversary is not the world. The Our adversary is not the world system, though we are contrary to it. There are those in our society who are trying to undermine biblical truth and biblical principles. There are those who are working adamantly to undermine the the home and the, the family as God established it. But they are not our enemies. Our political opponents, though that may differ from person to person, the person that you disagree with politically or ideologically, they are not our enemies. They are victims in the lies of Satan. Those that are drawn into falsehood, those who are drawn into unbelief are victims of Satan. And we need to remind that this is not a, a culture war. It is a rescue mission that we're engaged in. Our goal is to bring the hope of the gospel to those that are lost. And that is our hope. Our adversary is against hell, the gates of hell, Shall not prevail against it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse or chapter 6, verse 12 said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is who our battle is against. And that is why our battle is a spiritual battle. We've been in the last months, several times, to Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God. Why? Because our engagement, our battle is a spiritual battle, but I'm glad that our adversary is defeated, and that's the assurance that this promise gives us. That's the hope that Jesus gives us. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I'm glad that Satan is a defeated foe. Our enemy, we're in a battle against an enemy that's already lost the war. He lost the war at Calvary. The gates of hell shall not prevail. This is not that hell is on the offense of attacking gates or stationary. But what are the gates of hell? The gates of hell are those that hold in those souls that are dead. But I'm glad that Satan and hell has no power over the soul of the believer. That death could not hold Jesus Christ and death is not going to hold us. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And every other enemy cannot conquer Christ. Christ has conquered death and through Christ we have conquered death and we have hope as believers because of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Satan has been defeated. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 12 says, And they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. How do we defeat Satan? How do we defeat those lies that the deceiver brings to our heart and mind? to tell us that the situation is hopeless, to tell us that there's no hope for tomorrow, to tell us that we need to give in, to tell us that we just need to listen to all the, the doom and the gloom. We rebuke Satan, not in our own power, but in the name of Jesus Christ. Even Michael, the archangel, did not rebuke Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. They didn't win the battle in their own strength. We're not going to conquer Satan in temptation and despair in our own strength. We do it in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. Our hope, our victory is in Jesus. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What is the word of our testimony? When Satan comes around, we need to tell him this. We need to tell him who we are. I am a child of God. I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I am in God's kingdom, and he has no authority over me. He has no business on God's property. We need to remind him of who he is. Jesus said he's the father of lies. And when he comes around spewing his falsehood and spewing his untruths in your heart and mind, you need to remind him, my Lord said you're a liar. And we need to remind him of who Jesus Christ is. The word of God, that Jesus is the Lord. He is the final authority in this world. And he is the final authority in this spiritual battle. And we speak that truth, the word of God is the word of our testimony. We need to, we need to take this territory. We need, to, we need to rest in the assurance of Jesus Christ. Now somebody said one time, well, don't you, that sort of sounds like you're, you're praying to Satan when you say those kind of things. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers said. He said, I'm not not praying to the cat when I say scat. And we're just saying to the devil, scat, get out of here. You've got no business. And by the word of their testimony, they overcame the devil. We fight a defeated foe. Aren't you glad for that? Can you imagine trying to live this life with no assurance of victory? There would be no hope at all in this world. We were without Christ and without hope in the world before we were were believers. But now we are with Christ and we have hope in this world. Don't don't give in to the doom and gloom. Don't give in. Don't become a peddler of hopelessness. Everybody wants to... Boy, I, I hear it. I was talking, had a couple conversations with family yesterday and they were sharing things people have come up and asked them about and said to them. And I thought to myself, Christians are some of the most depressing people in the world. The old singer Stuart Hamlin that wrote the, the old gospel song, This Old House, and he got saved. He, he was in secular music and he began to write some gospel songs and he said that he got around some believers. And he said there's nothing more beautiful than a young believer before they've gotten around some old believers. That's the problem is that we have bought into this. Don't despair. Don't go into this year. No, we don't know what this year holds. We didn't know what the last two did, and God brought us through those. God's, God's still in control. God's, God's strength and God's love, as they just saying, is overwhelming. And we experienced that in these last years. Think about what he's going to do this year. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter what sickness comes. It doesn't matter what, uh, who's, who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what movies are made in Hollywood. It doesn't matter what happens in our schools. What matters is that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is on the throne and we are a fighting a defeated foe. We can have hope. We can have hope because we face, we fight a defeated foe, but also because our foundation is secure. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, some of the Catholic persuasion believe that, that was, he was talking to Peter and that Peter became the rock of the church and the foundation of the church. But that's not clearly what this passage is not teaching. It comes more from church tradition than it does from the word of God. But there are several possibilities of what Jesus was talking about. Some will say that when Jesus said upon this rock, he was referring to those like Peter who believed in him. This is what I will build my church from. It's the people of Christ who have faith in Christ. Some say that Jesus was talking about that faith itself, that this is the faith that's the rock that it's built upon. Others, and I think this is probably what Jesus was referring to, believe that Jesus was speaking of himself. Ephesians will call Jesus the chief cornerstone of the church. But upon this rock I will build my church. I believe there's an element of truth to all three of those. That it is the people who have placed their faith and trust in the rock, Jesus Christ, that form the church, the body of Christ. We are the church and we are resting not on a foundation of man, not on a foundation of tradition, not on a foundation of just gathering together. We are based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's the one who defeated our foe. He's the one who laid the foundation. In a sense, we, we are the church. You know, I, I love the facilities and buildings that God has blessed us with, but the foundation of this church is not underneath this building. You could take away every building on this piece of property and the church would still be here. In fact, there are many places in the world where they have no buildings to gather, and yet the church is there. The church is thriving. We saw just this past Wednesday night a mission project that we're going to engage in this year to help a church in the Dominican Republic, some Haitian refugees that have had to flee their country because of the turmoil and the political upheaval that's taking place in their nation, and they are establishing a church, and the work of God is going on, and they are meeting in a rented small hut that they call a house. And the children gather in the backyard for their services, for the children's church and for for Sunday school. And by God's grace, we're going to help provide them with a building. But you know what? The church is already there. The church is what God has established on the foundation of Jesus Christ. If a church is established on the foundation, if the church is established on the foundation of man, it will fail. This church will stand and thrive and grow and be strong as long as it is founded on the person of Jesus Christ. Remember many years ago, we were in a revival service or preparing for revival services and we pulled into the parking lot to wait and park our camper next to the church and this man came out and my dad rolled down the window and he began to talk to him and he stuck his thumbs in his, in his lapels. It's always a dangerous sign. If you do that, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm not really that bad, but in my experience, it's always something's getting ready to come that's just not real spiritual. He said, "Um, I want you to know that my granddaddy was the founding member and laid the foundation of this church. My daddy was a deacon in this church, and my uncles were deacons in this church, and I've been a member in this church my whole life this is our church boy that's a dangerous thing to say thank god he got saved during the revival meeting (laughs) god took his took a little wind out of his sails and took his thumbs out of his lapels this church is not man's church this church is god's church and it is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We rest on a secure foundation. But then notice the third reason we have hope. I have hope this morning because my foe was defeated. Satan is defeated. I have hope because my foundation is sure, but I have hope because our founder is sovereign. Jesus Christ is in control. Do you see what he says here? Upon this rock, I, I will build my church. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that gives the promise. He's the one that is the source of my assurance. They say that the, the owner of the ship line that built the Titanic made the, gave the assurance. He said, this ship is unsinkable. But that's the promise of man. Jesus has given the same promise to the church. He's saying the gates of hell shall not prevail. The winds may blow against the ship of the church, but it will not sink because of its builder and because of its captain. And we have hope because he is the one that is in control. His promise, this promise is not from a mere man. This promise is from the God-man. This promise is from God himself. And Jesus says... The gates of hell will not prevail. I will build this church. Jesus Christ is the life of the church. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that Christ is our life. He's the one that's the life of the church. It is the life of Christ in the church that makes any difference between the church and any other social gathering. There are clubs and organizations and lodges throughout our community, throughout our society, What makes us any different from another gathering of people? What makes us different is that we have Christ as our life. Otherwise, we're just a gathering of religious people. A lot of times we talk about churches being lively, and I know what we mean by that. I grew up around some lively churches. I grew up around some churches that would scare some of y'all half to death. Brother what? you know some of the ones I'm talking about. They would run and jump and swing. And I'm talking about Baptist churches too. I'm not, I, yeah, some of y'all got shocked looking like a deer in a headlight already looking at me. Let me tell you that the life of the church is not how loud we get or how wild we get. The life of the church is Jesus Christ. That's what makes the difference. That's the power. That's the difference. And not only is he the life of the church, the Bible says he's the Lord of the church. Ephesians chapter 2 says he has made him head over all things to the church. He is the Lord of the church. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's in charge. Aren't you glad for that? Let me tell you when troubles come to a church, when problems and conflict comes in the church, when people, rather than the Lord, start trying to take control. That's when problems start. When it has to be my way. When it's it's what I want. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church, and Jesus Christ is the Lord of Central Baptist Church. And Jesus... Christ is Lord of your life. Let me say that when believers within a church stop submitting to the authority of Christ in their life, you'll start seeing them stop submitting to the authority of Christ in the church. And that's where the conflict rises. Jesus is the Lord of the church, but Jesus is the love of the church. We've got to love Jesus more than we love serving Jesus. I want you to listen to me carefully. There are times when we can love what we do. Some of y'all really enjoy singing in the choir. And I understand why. I love to get up there when I can, and I, it's a blessing to get to sing. But some people sing just because they enjoy singing. They enjoy that's what they do. They, it's not about loving Jesus. There are some people that preach just because they, like, they enjoy preaching. They enjoy studying the Word. Sunday school teachers that teach just because they like having, they like the opportunity to say something. And not all. You listen to what I'm saying. I'm saying that we've got to love Jesus more than we love our service for Jesus. We've got to love the Lord of the church more than we love the church. I know some Christians that are so committed to the survival of their church gathering that they've gotten their eyes off of the reason they gather. They get their eyes off of Jesus. Jesus is the love of the church. Christ loved the church, Ephesians chapter 5, and gave himself for it. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves this bride? Jesus loves this church. Jesus died for this church. Jesus died for you. That's why we have hope, because he loves us. Our Bridegroom loves this bride. He died and he gave himself for it. He is also the one who is going to come to get this church. One of these days, I hope, I, I don't know when it's going to take place. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place, preacher, but I hope it's during a church service. There's several reasons for that, I'm, some of them are not, not real spiritual, but. But I I would love, wouldn't it be wonderful for the church to get to go up together? We're going to get to go up together, but what if we all left from the same place? You see, Jesus is the one who called the church out. Jesus is the one who sends the church out. But one day, he's going to be the one that comes to take the church out. That's why we have hope. That's why we have assurance. So listen, don't, don't become a dealer in hopelessness. Don't give in to the doom and gloom. Don't listen to the lies of Satan that are trying to fill your heart and fill your mind. As we look forward to what God is going to do this year in our lives and in our homes and in our families and in the outreach and the gospel, I believe that what God has for us, the far greater things are yet to come. Why? Not because I can do anything, not because we can do anything, but because he can do everything. That's the blessedness that we have, the hope that we have. Don't give in to the doom and gloom. Don't be a dealer of hopelessness. Be a dealer of gospel hope. You may know someone that's in a hopeless situation, and the most important thing they need is not for you to get them out of their situation. The most important thing they need is the message of the gospel. Jesus is our only hope. If you're here this morning and maybe you're in a hopeless situation... I'm not selling Jesus as some magical elixir that's going to solve all your problems. But I am going to tell you that Jesus is the answer to your deepest problem. And that is the problem that you are lost and apart from God, and you need to be restored to a relationship with Him. And only Jesus can bring that hope for that to happen. You can have all your problems in the world solved and still be hopeless. Because only hope is found in Jesus Christ. That's where we have our hope church. That's why we can be a church filled with hope, a church that is sharing the hope of the gospel. I am glad that I don't have to wonder about the future of the church. I am glad that I don't have to wonder if there's going to be any believers here. I don't have to wonder if what's going to happen when the next five years or the ten years, when the Numbers continue to decline, and what's going to happen when culture continues to change, and what's going to happen when this takes place, and this person's in authority. I don't worry about any of that, because Jesus Christ is our founder, and he is sovereign. I love what some writers wrote some years ago, and it's still true today. Some of you have heard this and know this, but they wrote, God has always had a people Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had driven the church of Jesus Christ out of sight that he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it is forced to flow underground. The purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it has fought its way through solid rock. There have been charlatans like Simon the Magician who sought to barter on the open market, that power which cannot be bought or sold, but God has always had a people. Men who could not be bought and women who were beyond purchase, God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message was nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, and financially profitable. It has been gold-plated, draped in purple and encrusted with jewels. It has been misrepresented, ridiculed, blotted, and scorned, but God has always had a people. These followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of times, elevated as sacred leaders and martyred as heretics, yet through it all, their marches on that powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people that cannot be bought, flattered, murdered, or stilled. On through the ages they marched, the church God's church alive and well, the church triumphant. That's the promise that Jesus gives. That's the triumphant church that Jesus promises, and that is the hope that we have as we enter into this year, regardless of what this year may hold. Jesus is in control. The enemy is defeated, and we are founded upon a sure foundation. Aren't you glad for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Father, thank you. For this hope. This morning, I believe, Father, there may be those here who are struggling. They've given up hope. They've listened to the voices of this world. They've listened to the voice of the deceiver, and he has convinced them, and he has assured them that there is no hope. Lord, if we are not careful, we will become sharers, and we will become merchants of hopelessness. But help us, Lord, to be dealers in hope. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel that we share, help us to boldly proclaim it this year. Father, I pray that you will help us to take that hope to a hopeless world. Father, I pray for those this morning that maybe are carrying heavy burdens and they need to come to this altar. They need to lay those burdens before you. They need to let go of what's causing them to be hopeless. They need to be reminded that You are in control and you are in charge. They need to be reminded of the assurance that we have that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and it will not prevail against our soul. Whatever the need, Father, I pray that you will speak to each heart. We pray in Jesus' name.